We're still continuing through this book. I don't know how many years it's been now, An Open-Hearted Life. And uh, we're in a section now that's really dealing with how to live and communicate and relate to ourselves and others through uh, an attitude of compassion. So the particular chapter we're on right now is chapter 50 about apologizing and forgiving. Yeah, so I know that all of you have a lot of people that you wish would apologize to you, and you have nobody that you need to, and you have many people you that uh, need to forgive you, right? But you don't need to apologize to anybody. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, because it's always everybody else's fault, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's the first step. It's never me. Yeah. Okay, so let's start just with a few minutes of watching the breath, and then we'll go into the talk. So let's come back to our long-term motivation. The motivation to attain full awakening so that we can have the necessary skills and compassion and wisdom to really be able to benefit other living beings. Is one thing that makes it difficult for us to benefit others now is we get into conflicts with them. (laughs) And certainly in the middle of a conflict, we are usually not benefiting each other or even wanting to benefit each other. And love and compassion are very far away from our minds at that time. So let's begin by coming back to that long-term motivation, leaving aside the anger and the conflicts. Okay. So apologizing and forgiving. So I'm very sorry that I'm not going to give a very good Dharma talk. And I want you all to forgive me and, uh, you know, maybe feel a little sorry for me because, you know, I'm not a very good speaker and I'm going to make some mistakes. And yeah, so I'll apologize in advance. So then you will not criticize me over anything. Yeah. Anybody else here who does that? Yeah? Yeah. It's a good technique, we think. (laughs) But it often doesn't work as we want it to work. Yeah? Because people go, what in the world are you apologizing for? Well, I just want everybody to like me. That's not a very good excuse. Yeah. Apologizing when we haven't done anything diminishes the uh, force of the apology when we need to apologize for something. Yeah. Okay. So this is in the book was co-authored by Russell Coates, who many of you know is a prof at uh, uh, Eastern. And uh, 
we different we wrote different chapters so this is one that i wrote so you can blame me because i really haven't done a very good job writing it <laughs> okay so it starts sometimes we say or do things that harm others who me i don't do that well it says whether intentionally or unintentionally well i don't do it either intentionally or unintentionally it's just other people are too sensitive that's the problem yeah it's not me hmm? yeah okay so noticing this that we harm others uh can be painful because these actions are different from how we would like to see ourselves and how we wish to treat others. Yeah, so we would like to see ourselves as kind, magnanimous, tolerant people who uh, are respectful of others. Yeah, that's how we want to see ourselves. Well, are we Uh, maybe when we're asleep <laughs> yeah but uh you know when the self-centered mind comes up and says my happiness is most important then wanting to see ourselves as tolerant and you know patient and so on uh is uh, out the window Okay. Since feeling compassion means being being sensitive to suffering and working to alleviate it, we need to apply compassion to mend the harm that we have created. Yeah. And again, our self-centered mind goes, "What? You know, if I harm somebody, it was because they did something ridiculous that harmed me first." Remember the rule is they started it. Yeah. So if I did something it's because they started it and they made me speak like that. Yeah. So how can I be compat why should I be compassionate for those people? Mhm. Okay. But we're op- we like to see ourselves as open-minded and so on. But when push comes to shove okay apologizing simply means acknowledging what we've done in a way that takes responsibility for it expresses regret and communicates a genuine repeat genuine intention to do our best not to repeat this behavior Okay it's so easy to to have fake apologies isn't it Yeah it's so easy you just say something that sounds good and uh but our hearts not really in it No and now in society apologizing is very big you know all the politicians you know they make hateful not all of them several of them make hateful uh remarks and then they apologize for it yeah but they've said the hateful remark and that's gone into people's minds yeah and then they apologize it which is a way of saying i don't really mean it but i want your vote mm-hmm. i do i sound cynical <laughs> Are these people worthy of cynicism? I don't know. Okay. So here's an example of an apology. Yesterday when I spoke harshly to you, my mind was overwhelmed with anger, and instead of communicating effectively, I let my frustration out. I imagine hearing me speak in this way was painful for you. I'll do my best to express what I want in more appropriate ways in the future. So that's a good apology. Yeah. But what what how do we usually apologize? 
oh, I'm really sorry you took that the wrong way. That's not how I meant it at all. <laughs> yeah? This is, you know, I read this and I said, yeah, that's a really good apology. That This paragraph has Russell's influence. Uh, you know, I would not write an apology like that. I would write like the one I just spoke. You know, <laughs> but... Uh, he went over some of my things, but you know this this is a good one because it's um it's acknowledging responsibility, yeah, yesterday when I spoke harshly to you, okay, and then my mind was overwhelmed with anger, but the person isn't using the anger as an excuse, they're owning the anger. My mind was on, was overwhelmed with anger, and instead of communicating effectively, I let my frustration out. Okay, so they're not making excuses. They're saying they were angry, they're, but not making the cause of the anger the other person or some other extraneous thing. And then saying, I imagine hearing me speak in this way was painful for you. Yeah, so that's showing some empathy. I can imagine how my remark came across. Yeah, and then a resolution. I'll do my best to express what I want in more appropriate ways in the future. Yeah, so there, it's truthful. I'll do my best. It's not saying, I promise never, ever, ever, because that kind of promise probably wouldn't hold. But to know, I'm trying, I will do my best. Importantly, apologizing does not involve adding excuses that let us off the hook or blame the other person, such as, I'm sorry that I spoke unkindly, but you really ticked me off. <laughs> That's a great apology, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry I was rude to you, but you were acting really obnoxious and getting in my way. Yeah. Yeah. That, those are the kind of apologies that we usually give. Okay, here's another example. I'm sorry that you took what I said personally. Yeah. Like, you idiot, you misunderstood what I said. You know, because you're too ego-sensitive. Uh, so that's not accepting responsibility for, for our, own, our own actions. Okay, likewise, there will be times when others hurt us. We live in a world in which other people uh, can be ignorant, angry, and greedy, just as we can. So that last few words, just as we can, is important because it's not that we live in a messed up world and we're little angels, we're, we're part of the mix. Okay. Um, uh, we will all experience harm from the actions of others and sometimes this harm can be extreme. Yeah, can be extreme, okay? So we will all experience harm from others. Does that mean that others are intentionally harming us? Sometimes maybe yes, but many times no. Yeah, many times no. Many times it's we don't uh, stop to think about how to communicate well. Venerable Lumsell spoke about this yesterday in her BBC. And so, you know, we just rush into communicating and then say something and then after realize, afterwards realize we weren't very considerate of the other person. And needless to say, although we dev never want to admit it, we are ego-sensitive. Yeah. And we all have big red buttons of the things that trigger us. And our big red buttons say, do not push me. But they are all, they line a corridor so that anybody who walks in the corridor, just the movement of their air, of the air, pushes our buttons. 
Yeah? You know, like when you're meditating and you want it quiet because I am meditating to gain realizations for the benefit of all those messed up sentient beings who I have compassion for. Yeah, and then somebody walks down that corridor, you know, and they're walking and people make noise when they walk. Well, it's not the people. It's the shoes that make the noise. But we blame the people for the noise their shoes make. Okay, that's okay. We blame the people for their noise. But when we walk down the corridor in shoes, they should not blame us for making noise because we don't make the noise the shoes do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's very interesting in Gotomi Gotomi House, um, Gotami House, (laughs) when we were building it, everyone decided we do not want carpeting on the upper floor because um, there's glass uh, in the floor and that way the sunlight can come and go to the lower floor, which makes it a lot more pleasant. Yeah. And so, uh, and then also because nobody wanted carpet because carpet off gases and then it collects a lot of dirt. And whereas just, you know, the flooring, regular flooring, it's very easy to clean. So we just put in regular flooring. Yeah. Then what happened? She goes to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And it's clomp, clomp, clomp. Why didn't we put carpeting in this building? Who made that decision? They say, as they look at me. (laughs) And then that one, who complained about the other one making noise when they were, then the other one says, about this one. This one gets up a half an hour before everybody else. And when she walks down the corridor, yeah, she's humming. Or she's saying Manjushri mantra, but not softly. Omar Patsanidhi is. Omar Patsanidhi, Omar And I'm trying to sleep. Yeah? Why is she doing that? Why didn't we put carpeting in there? You know, because the carpeting would obviously make her absorb all the the uh, sound from Omar Abbasana. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if all of you thought that um, monastic life was just simple and harmonious. <laughs> You're getting the inside picture now. <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah, so this is, this is what happens, isn't it? You know, or you go to work, you know, and somebody very kindly brought... Um, uh, donuts for everybody's. Oh, whoever bought donuts was so good. But this jerk made a mess by the coffee machine. Yeah. What? Why doesn't he clean it up? Okay. And then it's like, oh, uh, actually, it was me who made the mess by the coffee machine. Yeah. I heard Pema, Pema Chudran, she's a, quite a well-known um, Dharma teacher, and that she was leading a retreat one time and really said to the people, you know, please, after lunch, take your bowl and your silverware and take it into the kitchen and clean it. Please don't leave it around because we have a lot of people here. Okay, so that was announced. And so after lunch, she was sitting somewhere on one of the benches, and she looked over, and, oh, there's somebody who left their bowl and silverware, you know. And then she thought, well, okay, I will go and take it in. And she went and picked it up, and 
it happened to be her bowl. <laughs> okay. So, okay. But here, you know, when it says sometimes this harm can be extreme, you know, it's hard to predict when a harm is going to be extreme. Because for one person, a few, these few words, like, like stabbing them in the heart. And for another person, it doesn't hurt at all. Yeah. So we need to sometimes contemplate what makes pain extreme for us. Is it what the other person did, or does it have to do with us? However, when such harm has occurred, compassion can help us heal. One aspect of this is forgiveness. While this may seem counterintuitive and even crazy in our society that espouses an eye for an eye, forgiveness has the power to relieve our own pain. His Holiness Dalai Lama speaks a lot about forgiveness. Yeah, the importance of compassion and forgiveness. So it, it's something that really, when we forgive, we're the chief beneficiary of it. Yeah, because we stop being angry. And if we say something to the other person, you know, hopefully it'll alleviate their pain. But, you know, I don't know about you, but I often have people apologizing to me for situations, and I don't know why they're apologizing, because they didn't really do anything. But then those same people, when they did do something that they need to apologize for, don't say peep. Yeah, quite strange. Okay, But forgiving doesn't mean that we approve of someone's harmful behavior. So this is important to, to remember. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that we forget it either. Because, you know, sometimes if somebody has quite a bad habit and they hurt somebody else very much, it's good that we remember that kind of situation so that we... You know, if we get in that kind of situation with that person before, our mind is prepared and we know, oh, this person, you know, gets triggered by this and that. So if they are acting a little bit rude now, I know that that's why. Or, you know, um, I mean, the atrocities that, that are going on, let's say in Ukraine right now, uh, you know, they need to be forgiven, but they should not be forgotten, okay? Because um, we, we need to remember what troops do what and to hold people responsible for these kinds of things. That doesn't mean that we should uh, hold on to our anger and resentment towards those people, Okay. Because when we hold on to anger and resentment, the chief person that hurts is us. Yeah. The other, you know, if I'm really mad at somebody, yeah, I'm, sit- I'm sitting here stewing. They did this, and then they did that, and then they, and this, you know, and they're at the beach, relaxing. They're on holiday. They're playing with their kids. Uh, My anger is not affecting them. My anger harms me. So forgiving does not mean we approve of somebody's harmful behavior. It simply means that we have resolved to stop being angry about it. Okay. In other words, my anger towards this person is is giving me a lot of pain 
And if I care about myself, I want myself to be happy. And holding a grudge about another person and their behavior or another group of people and their behavior does not make me happy. Yeah? So for my own well-being, I need to let go of this anger. Okay. Now, I am telling you this as the member of a family. Okay? When I was a little kid, yeah, our relatives uh, had, uh, who lived in Chicago had a summer home on Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And there were four apartments in, on the land, okay? And I remember being very little going there and saying, okay, you can play everywhere and go swimming in the lake. But the people in that upstairs apartment, you don't talk to. Why? Who are they? Well, they're your grandmother's sister and her family. Yeah, my grand. So you can imagine, you know, they're my grandmother's sister, two generations above me, and and her family. Why don't we talk to them, mommy? And I cannot remember to the day what the reason was. I don't know if they even remembered what the reason was. It's just, you know, somebody did something that other people didn't like. So one whole family held it against the other family and just didn't speak to each other. And this was, I, you know, I don't even know these people. They're strangers. I'm a little kid and I'm not supposed to talk to them. Okay, this was the start of my beginning to think that adults are kind of stupid. Okay, my thought that adults are stupid reached its culmination in the middle of the Vietnam War. Yeah, and it hasn't really gone down. (laughs) Some adults are not so stupid, but basically... You know, because, okay, the rest of the story with, with my family, you know, that this is, uh, what do you call it, true true confessions. Okay, so the, I'm at the level of my grandparents' generation. They don't speak to each other. And I thought, you know, this is stupid. Uh, yeah, my generation's not going to be like this. You know, we're younger. We're 60, 70 kids, you know. We're not going to do this. Well... Then uh, the, the my grandparents' generation died off, and, but even before they had, in my parents' generation, yeah, when I was little, uh, my my mom has three siblings, and they all got along. And as time went on, then this one got mad at that one, so they don't speak to each other. And this one has a business, you know, they had a business together with the other one, and they don't like what somebody's son did, so they don't speak to each other. And then, you know, my mom sides with this one, and anyway, she doesn't like that one because that one did something. So uh, when it was time for a big family gathering for a wedding or something, making a seating arrangement was impossible because nobody spoke to each other. Okay? Yes. This is called family harmony. Um, (laughs) Or maybe it's called the nuclear family. Pun intended. Um, (laughs) Okay. And so I thought, this is ridiculous. You know, and they even died without making up. Yeah. The, the son of one, of one brother that two of the others were mad at called them when his dad was dying and said, my dad's dying. If you want to say something, you know, kind to him before he goes, this is the time. No. I mean, he's dying. They couldn't even do it then. Okay. So then, 
comes my generation. We are not going to act like this. Never, never, never. So there's one cousin that, uh, that I have, lives in Chicago, and she writes to me and my sister and my brother, and she really likes us. But she does not speak to her own siblings. She has four siblings. Because this one did that, and that one did this, and this one did this. And then, uh, you know, in the other family, then there's uh, three kids, but uh, a couple of them don't like the third one because he isn't, he didn't help support their mother. And then me with my brother and sister, um, you know, when my brother was executor of the will, yeah, we won't talk about that. And, uh, you know, and it's crazy. Yeah. And just the, you know, all people make all sorts of promises. Yeah. That they renegotiate all the time. But when we take a vow never to speak to somebody again, we never break that vow. Do we? You know? You hate you resolve to hate people until they die and after they die. And now tell me, how does that benefit anybody? Yeah, what benefit is it to, to hold that kind of hatred towards somebody? who very, very often, not always, but very often, happens to be somebody that you used to be very close to. Yeah, a relative, an ex-husband or an ex-wife. You know, isn't this amazing how, how we are towards other living beings? And then... Uh, you know, I listened to the war in Ukraine, and at the beginning, I didn't hear, you know, I, I heard statements a lot, but I didn't hear a lot of anger and blame. Now, there's much more anger and blame and wish for retaliation. Yeah? And this is what anger and hatred do to us when we hold on to them. Yeah? So this is why apologizing and forgiving are really important. You know, not, not just, we usually think it's to benefit the other person. Actually, like I said, we're the chief ones when we, who benefit when we apologize and forgive. Okay. Learning to put down the anger helps to heal our pain as anger keeps us feeling miserable long after the action that has harmed us has passed. Okay? Because, you know, if you, we use the example of my family, you know, they were holding grudges from things that happened 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Yeah? And the people who hold the grudge relive the situation in their own mind very frequently, okay? Very often, too, if you were discriminated against for something, you relive it again and again. So the other person maybe harmed us once, but every time we relive, relive you know, and ruminate on that situation, they said to this to me, they did that to me. We're, do, we're harming ourselves many more times than they've harmed us. They did something once, we ruminate on it and, you know, increase our anger about it, you know, very frequently. And we even make identities out of being the people who have been harmed or discriminated against or whatever. Okay. So, you know, what I'm going to say is immensely unpopular these days. But, you know, when we face discrimination, the people who are doing the discrimination, yes, 
they definitely have responsibility. But we can determine how much we're going to let it hurt us. And we can determine how much we're going to hold on to this. Okay, because, you know, we can hold on to it for a long time and really make an identity, or we can let it go. And I say this, okay, um, I was in Israel one time over Yom Kippur, and Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement, Uh you know, where everybody fasts, and then you're supposed to uh, confess and repent any negativities you've done for the whole year. So we Buddhists do it every day. You know, the Jews do it once a year. <laughs> they must have a long list, you know, if they're anything like us. You build it up. So... um so we were doing medit- uh, in a meditation that retreat, and uh, and I led a meditation on forgiveness. Yeah. And if you've been to Israel, if you understand the Jewish psyche, after the Holocaust, the um, the identity of being persecuted, which they've had for centuries before that just got reinforced really, really strong, you know. And so the Holocaust, yes, they killed us and persecuted us, but they've been doing this 4,000 years. This isn't anything new. And this is, you know, all we, you know, when you're a minority, you think like this, okay? So uh, here were these people in Israel, many of them children of Holocaust survivors. Now, when you're a child of a Holocaust survivor, it has affected you. It affects you. And then just the, I mean, if you wonder why the Israeli Defense Forces act the way they do, it's because of the Holocaust, you know, and this thing of... uh, People saying, oh, we didn't fight back, so now we're fighting back, and we're not going to let people do something. So then they get too aggressive you know, and harm the Palestinians or, or whoever. They fight amongst each other. Yeah, it's human beings. Anyway, um, so I led this meditation about uh, forgiveness regarding the Holocaust, where to a whole, everybody in that room was Jewish. I come from a Jewish background too. And, uh, and we just imagined, uh, you know, because you, you learn about this when you're this big on up, um, you know, the, what the, the um, concentration camps look like, the dorms, the gas, the rooms where the people were gassed, the rooms were there, where they were burned and so on. And we went room by room, you know, in, and in each room, uh, cultivated compassion and imagined Chenrezi, the Buddha of compassion, in the room with us, with not only the people who were killed, yeah, who were Jews and gay people, and gypsies, and sometimes Poles, uh, they got them too. Um, so to, to cultivate not only compassion, not only for the people who were murdered there, but also for the people who, who did the murdering and who planned the murders and, you know, everybody involved in it. People who knew it was happening but couldn't say anything or didn't want to say anything. And it was a really powerful meditation, really, really powerful, okay? Um, Because we were all practicing forgiveness. Hmm? Okay. So these kinds of things... I think even, you know, that one, 
I think was especially powerful because it was a room of people from the same minority group who, who knew the, knew very closely from their own experience what was being discussed. You know, I think that made, made it quite powerful. Okay. So learning to put down the anger helps to heal our pain as anger keeps us feeling miserable long after the action that has harmed us has passed. Forgiveness allows us to shift our focus away from the past and into the present. And it frees up so much time because we spend so much time going round and around and around remembering all the harms that people have done us. It's, it's very time intensive. Yeah? So this form of compassion involves being willing to let go of the hurt we feel over things that occurred in the past. Okay, Being willing to let go of the hurt we feel. Yeah. How much are we willing to let go of the hurt? And how much do we hold on to the hurt? Because it feeds an identity and or because it feeds the feeling of I, you know, and the self-grasping, the wrong apprehension of ourself, the, you know, the I, is one of the big problems that keeps us involved in samsara. And yet when we hold on to the pain, and we hold on to the anger about being the pain, it makes us feel like we exist. And I think one of our deepest fears is not existing. And that's why many people are afraid of death. It means non-existence. But anger and hurt, they make us feel that like we exist. Strange way to feel like we exist, isn't it? I mean, we could feel like we exist because we have compassion, because we, we are kind towards others, because we connect with others. Yeah. But we hold on to the pain, you know? It's so... We make it concrete, and it seems so real. Yeah. So when we have been hurt deeply, this may be difficult to do and may take some time. Yeah, Because we can't just say to ourselves, I shouldn't be angry, I shouldn't be hurt. Yeah, And then all of a sudden the anger and the hurt will go away. Okay, should does not count. <laughs> should is not very useful. Yeah. However, just because it's difficult to do, just because it takes time, that is no reason not to do it. Okay. So to practice, you know, at least the first step being willing to let go of that, that hurt and being willing to let go of the pain. Yeah. Because they are not happening now. You know, isn't that strange? You, we can sit here and we're totally safe with a group of very kind people. Nobody here is going to do anything to us. But if we sit and think about a past hurt, we can get really upset and really angry, even though we're not anywhere near the place it occurred, not anywhere near the people who we interacted with. And it happened years and years and years ago, and it is not happening now. Our present reality is we're sitting in a room with a bunch of kind people. But the way our afflicted mind works is, you know, if we remember painful things from the past, yeah, and then we, it torments us. 
So we have to work very hard when those memories and so forth come up to say, this is not happening now. Yeah, right now, where am I? Yeah, I'm in a room with a bunch of nice people. It is not happening now. Hmm? So I think that that's one of the ways to kind of work with it, to, you know, to look at what is happening now. Hmm? I wonder sometimes with like the vets who have, um, who have, what do you call them? What? No, not the, the pets. They have dogs. Yeah. The, there's a special name. Anyway, the dogs, uh, service dog. That's it. So they have service dogs. Yeah. And these dogs are especially trained and they're, they're wonderful you know, pets. Uh, But I wonder if just having the dog there, petting the dog, you come back to the present moment, yeah? And you come back to, oh, I'm with this dog who cares about me. You know, I'm not back in Iraq or Afghanistan or Vietnam or wherever you were. It, it, It serves as an anchor, you know, to to bring, because otherwise, you know, our mind just gets taken away. For example, oh, wait a minute, we aren't there yet. Okay, so it may be difficult to do and may take some time. Nevertheless, it is worthwhile to have the aspiration to do this because the benefit we will experience is great. Imagine for a moment, okay, how wonderful it would feel to be free from the hurt and the anger you've been carrying with you for years, maybe even decades. Yeah, what would it feel like to be free from that hurt and anger, whoever you were carrying it against? Yeah, you would feel so relaxed and peaceful because the bitterness and resentment that currently weigh you down would be gone. Letting go of our anger in this way paves the way for compassion. And it it just gives us peace. For example, we can have compassion for parents or caregivers who weren't able to give their children everything that they needed. Okay? This... You know, since Freud, um, you know, blaming our parents for things in Western culture has become kind of what what to do. Um, But instead to think they did the best they could given their own life situations and capacities. And they did. Yeah. If you really, you know... As kids, we have some kind of idealized version of our parents as if they were always parents. They were never kids. They never experienced different things growing up. They were always the people who who they are. Uh, But if you, and, and this is, I think, quite important to do, ask our parents about their lives, you know, and what they experienced when they were growing up, who they knew, what problems they faced, what was going on in the country and in the world. Yeah, because if I look, you know, my parents grew up during the Depression and World War II. Okay, now that explains a lot. Yeah, if you grew up during the Depression, you know, and you were very poor, then that's going to affect you and what your values are, what you see as the purpose of your life, you know, what you feel responsible for. Yeah. And my parents, my grandparents were ignorant, were immigrants. Sorry. 
Yeah. My ma- my grandma, you know, couldn't, she was illiterate. Yeah. But they came here as, as immigrants. My, my, both my parents were first generation born here, grew up to, during the Depression, during World War II. Boy, you know, but why do I expect them to think like I do? Yeah. When I was born post-war, in the time of peace, when the economy was booming. Yeah. It's a completely different atmosphere that you grow up in. Okay. So to, so to, and, and then ask your parents what they experienced when, the, when they grew up. And that will explain a lot of the things they say that you may disagree with. Yeah. Or things, you know, where you can see your parents are really stuck in something. You know, if you learn something about their life, then you go, oh, now I understand why they feel that way. Yeah. Okay, so our parents did the best they could given their own life situations and capacities. It's important for us to appreciate that and to be grateful to them for what they were able to give us instead of only dwelling on what they weren't able to give us. So some years ago, uh, when it was the big thing about your inner child, yeah, and everybody was accessing their inner child, I, I went to one, I was asked to speak at a conference and the, I went to the plenary session. And so the guy who was giving the plenary session was talking about his inner child and, you know, and how he grew up and his dad had always promised to take him to the baseball game. He grew up in San Francisco and they had, what was San Francisco's baseball game? What? Giants, Sanford, that's right, the San Francisco Giants. And his dad always promised to take him there and never did. And each, you know, so often would say, next baseball game, the Giants are playing a home game, I'll take you. Didn't. So here's this grown man. He must have been, I don't know, 40-something, 50-something, yeah, holding on to this feeling of being deprived because his dad didn't take him to baseball games. Yeah. And I was sitting there going, you know, (laughs) it was just so amazing to me that something that I considered very small compared to the kind of suffering that is all over this world that we in America don't always uh, suffer, you know? And that this, this was like so important to him and that he was carrying it around with himself for years and years. So I had a lot of compassion for him, you know, because to me, like holding on to this stuff, first of all, it's never going to get resolved because you're never going to be a kid and your dad's never going to be there telling you he's going to take you to the baseball game. So this, there's never going to be a chance for him to do it differently. Yeah. And anyway, you know, how important are baseball games in the scheme of things? I know the baseball game symbolized for you your father's affection. Yeah. But how about, you know, didn't your father show affection in other ways? Yeah. And maybe he really, you know, he wanted to take you and money was short. Yeah. Or who knows why he didn't take you. Yeah. But, yeah, it was just... And then, you know, I think of what's happening in Ukraine. Do you think any, any young boys or teenage boys there are complaining because their dad's not taking them to the baseball game? 
I don't think so. Yeah? So, yeah. So you can see, I mean, the the example I told you is how we make the hurt we experience even bigger by going over and over and ruminating about it. Yeah? Okay. Okay, so letting go of our anger in this way paves the way for compassion. For example, we can have compassion for parents or caregivers who weren't able to give their children everything that they needed. Or sometimes it's everything the kids wanted. Yeah. Do you need to go to the baseball game? No. Do you need food? Yes. Did dad go to work every day and get food on the table? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so our parents did the best they could given their own life situations and capacities. So it's important to think about that. You know, my my parents growing up as the children of immigrants influenced how they thought. You know, coming to the con- to this country where they didn't know anybody and didn't know the language and you know, their parents and they were raised in a household like that face and also face discrimination, then this is going to condition, you know, what was important to them in their lives, which was certainly different than what was important to me in my life because I didn't grow up during the Depression and a war, and I didn't grow up in poverty, okay? So it's important for us to appreciate what our parents did given their situation and capacity, and to be grateful to them for what they were able to give us instead of only dwelling on what they weren't able to give us. A story one prisoner uh, related is very touching. He sobbed when informed by the prison authorities that his mother had died. His friend asked him, why are you so upset? I thought that she was a drug addict and often neglected you kids, leaving you without food. So the prisoner responded, yes, she did. But she also loved us and did what she was capable of to protect us, even though sometimes it wasn't very much. But I appreciate her for that. So I read this this inmate, uh, Jarvis Masters, You know, he wrote a book about his life. And, you know, yeah, his mom was a drug addict, and often the kids didn't have food, and the neighbors, they would get food from the neighbors or whatever. And, you know, the parents were definitely negligent. But whenever the father came home drunk, wildly drunk, and the mother knew that, he was going to beat her and beat the kids because he was strong. She hid the kids under the bed. She put the kids under the bed and put something in front so the father would not find them. And then she went out to be with the father, knowing that he was going to beat her up. So as a kid, you know, wow, You know, your mom's protecting you from getting beat up by a father who's much bigger than you, who's totally drunk. Yeah. And and he really appreciated his mom for that. So he was able to look the fact, overlook the fact that very often there wasn't food in the fridge, but to see the kindness she had in protecting them. Okay, while our minds have the tendency to put people in fixed categories and think of them as all good or all bad, every human being, including ourselves, has both positive and negative qualities. It is more accurate to see others as the complex people that they are instead of, this person's an idiot, you put them in one box. 
This person is incompetent. You put them in another box. And then that's the only way you think of them. And often the way we categorize them is because of one thing they did in their life that we don't like. Mm. So letting go of our anger is a way of being compassionate towards ourselves. When we experience pain due to others' actions, we magnify and multiply the hurt by holding grudges and nurturing hatred and animosity towards them. Our hatred continues to harm us by provoking more disturbing emotions. Anger keeps us stuck in the past, obsessing over what had already happened. Seeing how much anger inhibits our growth and brings us suffering can inspire us to put aside our resentment and to forgive others. So I want to pause here. And Tracy's brother is a really good example of that. He was a, uh, a cop in, in Oakland. No, San, San Francisco, somewhere around there. Yeah. Do you want to tell the story briefly? Uh, yeah, my brother was a, he was a sheriff in Bakersfield. And Bakersfield. Um, he had the night shift and uh, saw a couple teenagers and uh, they ran. They were trying to get in a car or something like that. And so um, the what happened was that um, one of the boys shot my brother in the throat and um, my brother almost died. And they caught the young man and put him in jail. And uh, my brother had multiple surgeries and uh, was, was uh, you know, pretty much, <laughs> he, he was hurt pretty badly. Um, but um, the boy um, was 17 and had come from a really hard background as well. I mean... So my brother was angry for about 20 years, <laughs> maybe 22. And he went to a parole hearing all ready to say, you know, lock him up forever. And he, he took a look at him and something about uh, he seen how the the man had suffered all those years. He he just couldn't find it in himself to, to punish him more. And um, so uh, through a, a program, they they got to know each other and forgave each other. And now they're friends basically. And Jason is out of jail. <laughs> Forgiveness does not ignore the harm or justify a person's misdeeds, but it releases our pain and anger connected to it. When the harm has been great, we may need the assistance of a therapist or spiritual teacher to help us take these steps. Although it may seem difficult, it is possible to get rid of the hurt and anger. These emotions are not one with us. They are not part of the pure nature of our minds. Okay. Then uh, the reflection is about apologizing and forgiving. So bring to mind a situation in which you have caused harm to someone else. Generating a compassionate motivation, imagine yourself sincerely apologizing to them. So this is level of imagination. Okay. Then consider a time when someone has harmed you. Start with a small harm. Later you can apply this to more severe harms. And imagine what it would be like to forgive him, to let go of the ill will you carry with you as a result of that harm. So again, imagination level. And then the third step, once you have done this, you might consider whether you'd like to express either your apology or forgiveness to the other person in person or maybe by writing them a letter. In doing this, reflect how doing so might impact your relationship with the person. Yeah, so you might need to act and, you know, go to the person and apologize. 
uh, or, you know, express your forgiveness to them if they have apologized and you weren't able to forgive them when they did. Yeah. But first do it on the level of imagination. Yeah. And do it repeatedly. This is why we meditate and do a practice because we have to do this kind of thing repeatedly. And then if you feel like it, go to the person and apologize or forgive. But sometimes you may want to apologize to somebody, but they aren't ready to talk to you yet. Yeah, their hurt has been too bad. They don't want to talk to you. So respect that. Give them space. Yeah, you might send them a birthday card or just something like that, you know. But don't don't push it if the other person is not ready. But if they begin to loosen up, then you you can. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, that's that chapter, short chapters in this book. Okay, so uh, we're a little late, but if you, we could do maybe one or two questions if people have. Someone online is asking, any thoughts on the idea that we somehow hold trauma in our bodies? Some would say we even hold generational trauma in our bodies. What do you think? Um... I don't know exactly what that means to hold it in your body. You know, does it mean that? Yeah, because hold it in your body, the English, the language to me sounds like it's right there inside the muscle or like that. So I, I don't know if it's like that or if it's more just like, part of your body is associated with the harm you received. I really can't speak about that thing of holding trauma in your body because I don't know much about it. Yeah. Anything else? Okay, let's dedicate then. <laughs> <laughs> 